temper tantrums to crying cancel culture are everywhere. In the news, on social media, and now even in our government. But what's really going on? A new podcast demystifies the panic and dispels the many myths about cancel culture. It's called Cancel Me Daddy. It's hosted by Caitlin Burns, the very first openly transgender reporter on Capitol Hill, and our very own Oliver Ash Klein, who's actually my producer here on Brave Not Perfect and one of the founding members of the Trans Journalists Association. Caitlin and Oliver Ash shed light on what they call the cancel culture grift economy, delving into the latest scandals, laughing at the most outrageous takes, and taking a closer look at whose voices are actually being silenced in these conversations. It's fascinating, funny, and often surprising show that I think you're really gonna enjoy. Subscribe to Cancel Me Daddy right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you might get canceled. So if you're enjoying Brave Not Perfect, I want to let you know about another incredible podcast I think you'll enjoy. It's called Query and hosted by the brilliant comedian Cameron Esposito. Every week, Cameron sits down for an hour-long conversation with some of the brightest luminaries in the LGBTQ plus family. She's had fabulous conversations with guests like Lena Waithe, Alexandra Billings, Congressman Mark Takano, President and CEO of GLAAD, Sarah Kate Ellis, and so many more. Query explores individual stories of identity, personality, and the shifting cultural matrix around gender, sexuality, and civil rights. It's identity. It's community. It's Query. Find Query every Monday on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Reshma. Welcome to Brave Not Perfect, the show where we leave perfection behind and get a little braver. I'm on a mission to help you live your bravest life. This episode, we're talking about self-care, and I want you to do a nice thing for yourself this week, something that supports your well-being. Take five minutes to meditate, schedule a therapy appointment, cook yourself a nice dinner, bonus bravery points if you do something that's at an inconvenient time for someone else. I want you to put yourself in your well-being first. For me, that means going on my morning run. It makes me feel so good. I need it so much and it's when I do my best thinking. But guess what? That's when my kid's waking up. That's when my dog wants to go on a walk. It's the worst time for everyone else, but the best time for me. But you know what? My husband, he can handle it. The house isn't gonna burn down if I go out for a 30 minute run. And me, I'm gonna feel a million times better. Joining us to talk about self-care is actor Jamila Jamel. You probably know her from the hit show, The Good Place, a comedy that explores the afterlife and what it means to be a good person. Jamila is also a body positivity advocate who's made a name for herself calling out celebrities for promoting diet culture and dangerous weight loss products. That advocacy prompted her to launch the platform iWay, which encourages people to weigh themselves by the things they value about themselves instead of a number. And recently she launched a podcast called I Way with Jamila Jamil, where she has conversations with people about past shames and what they value about themselves. Before you hear our conversation, I wanna give you a heads up that Jamila talks about recovering from an eating disorder. She also briefly mentions attempting suicide. Her story is one of recovery and getting the support she needs. 
But if it's not a conversation you can listen to right now, that's okay. Please take care of yourself. As you know, this podcast is all about being brave and breaking free from perfection. And I always say, like, you can't be brave if you're tired, right? And so much about bravery is also about self-care and putting ourselves first. And that's why, like, I'm so psyched to talk to you because this is really what I think is at the core of your work. Um, so I want to start just by chatting a little bit about the iWay platform. What is it? When did you start it? What's it about? So I started iWay about two years ago. It was just a kind of moment of rebellion. I had a pretty small social media following and I just kept on seeing all these pictures of famous celebrity women with their weight written across their bodies and I couldn't find any pictures of men with their weight written across their bodies, literally not one anywhere on the internet, uh, unless they were UFC fighters. And I just sort of snapped and I was like, I can't believe that in 2018, we're still measuring a woman's entire value, the most potent part of her just on a weighing scale. This is so diminishing to our worth. And so I just tweeted out what I weigh, which is my social contributions, my contributions to uh, our society in general, my relationships, my financial independence, my activism. I weigh the sum of all my parts. And I just tweeted it out once. And there was something about it that just struck a chord with thousands of women and men and non-binary people around the world where everyone is struggling with this feeling of living up society's really narrow and boring expectations of them. And within days, it, we had thousands of posts of women and uh, well, it was women at first just writing in everything that they feel like they are worth, what they weigh. And I started an Instagram account. I thought it would be a two week, one month thing. And two years later, we're just about to hit our first million on Instagram and it's growing every day and we have fans around the world and it's become this proper movement against shame and we are activists together. As a movement of a million people, we actually make change. I have two bills currently in the Senate. We're about to bring a third one in um, to try and change some laws uh, in America. We also have managed to change the global policy for Facebook and Instagram to uh, make sure that people under the age of 18 can no longer see diet and detox products or cosmetic surgeries being sold to them. And um, all false claims get taken off of Instagram as soon as they're reported. So, so it's just been, it's been a lot. <laughs> it's a it's you know this is it took a lot of bravery, but I you know I believe in not doing this by myself. I've had a community of a million people behind me, and um, I wouldn't have been able to get all of this done without them. So I'm curious. It's so powerful. I'm curious about how you think about this in terms of helping people with their self care, right, and pushing them to sort of weigh ourselves with the things that have nothing to do with weight. Right. So on your post, you're like, I weigh great friends. I laugh every day. I love my job. I make an honest living. Talk to me a little bit about how that phrase I weigh, you know, is connected to self-care. Well, it's connected to self-worth. You know, self-worth is at the helm of self-care, you know, understanding who you are and your value is the thing that inspires you to protect yourself. And, you know, I'm a mental health advocate above all else. I think a lot of people think I weigh as a body positive movement, but it isn't. It's just about changing the way that you see the world, changing the way that you see yourself within the world. It's all about mental health and the intersectional, uh, area that that is that affects mental health affects so many different people in so many different cross-sectional ways um 
I think that looking after yourself is the only uh, sustainable way to be of service to others and to this world. You know, I know that, you know, I've been talking a lot about recently about the idea of boss bitch, you know, can sometimes equal dead bitch. And that's not something that I'm really interested in. I've completely burnt myself out over the last two years and had to really take a moment in December to look at myself and be like, I have to practice what I preach and I can't, I'm not good to anyone dead. And so, you know, I've been kind of myself taking measures over the last month to to start to pull back and do small things like maybe reinvest in therapy or take more time out to myself, actually have a weekend, which I haven't had for two years and spend more time with my loved ones in order to be of better service to the world. And what it like, what came out of kind of this December meditation? Mostly just decisions to create more boundaries and to actually look inward rather than just trying to serve others. I think as women, uh, we naturally have a tendency to nurture the world and feel like we have to give up all of our resources for everyone else. And that's what we've been taught as a society, that we are here of service. You know, men are here for pleasure and success and we are here to service everything and to make everything run smoothly. It's a bit like with the planet, you know, something that I've been talking about a lot is the fact that I think the reason that we treat the planet like shit is because we look at the planet as a woman, mother earth, mother nature. And so we push her to the fucking edge and take away all of her reserves and expect her to never retaliate. That's what we do to women all around the world, femmes all around the world. And so I'm pushing back against that and now deciding to just take more measures to look after myself, look after my staff, ask people what their real dreams are beyond just success and and reevaluate what real success is. Mm. Success isn't in Instagram numbers. It isn't in your finances. Of course, those things are important, especially finances, because money equals independence and freedom. And we can't be too idealistic about that I would love to live in a utopia where that isn't important but it is especially as a woman especially as a woman of color um my most powerless moments have been where I have relied upon someone else for finance be that my family or be that men and I haven't been able to look after myself or retaliate appropriately and so that's why I'm so obsessed with my independence now but success is also happiness and affection and time and and fulfilling your your passions outside of just work Mm. I think it's such a powerful point it's like you know as an activist it's harder to rest because Mm -hmm. the work is never done right? When you're an entrepreneur, you're like, okay, I'm going to sell a thousand widgets. I've done that. Great. Now I can rest. And I think that there's a lot more guilt that we have as activists or movement leaders, you know, in, in taking time for ourselves. I know that uh, when we when this airs, your podcast will have launched, and it's a super exciting endeavor for you. And so congratulations. But my wanted to ask you is, you know, as you're starting this new podcast and this new platform, why are you, why a podcast and what are the kinds of conversations that are, you're having that are exciting you the most? So the podcast is about shame. And I think that that is the core of most of the world's biggest problems, both in, I mean, really in every gender, that is at the core of everything that makes us feel pain. It's the way that we hurt ourselves and it's the way that we hurt each other. And so it's the thing that I most want to investigate, you know, that it really is at the heart of our way is shame understanding shame being able to identify it so that you can destroy it and eradicate it from your life and so I think podcasts just give space for the long conversations that you can't have on social media and you often uh, are there in someone's most intimate moments when they're on their own in their car driving home from work or you're you know in someone's house as they're looking for 
and you know, I think podcasts really are kind of becoming an accessible form of therapy for people who can't afford or access therapy. And they learn a lot from those podcasts. And I just want to use mine to create space for other people who are smarter than me to come on and educate me about how they've worked through their shame in their life or how they are continuing to do so so that we can all learn from other people's experiences I think there's something very powerful about sharing because it enables other people to feel like they have the license to share as well so that's what everything I do is basically just to identify shame and teach people how to erase it I love this idea, this revolution against shame. And I think it's so connected to Brave Not Perfect and this bravery revolution that we're building that I talk about in this show because shame is so rooted in this idea that we have to be perfect mm. and we have to live up to these unrealistic expectations. How, you know, as another brown girl, like how did shame play out in your family? I mean, I'm from Britain. And I'm from Pakistan and India, so I, it's the sort of trifecta of shame, where as a woman, <laughs> you aren't really supposed to have too much independence, too much freedom, too much freedom of thought, uh, too much freedom with your body. And, you know, in Britain, we kind of use shame almost, we wear it as a badge of honor, you know, where you're not ever supposed to be proud of yourself, you're only ever supposed to self-deprecate. Those are sort of national, uh, traditional uh, parts of who we are as an institution of the country. So, you know, I have really struggled with shame my whole life. I also grew up in the 90s where it was all about heroin chic and everyone was supposed to be incredibly thin. So I felt ashamed of my body. It was such a racist time in England. So I was ashamed of my race. I also never used to see brown people on screen unless they were playing the sort of very loud cab driver or uh, sort of the the nerdy doctor who comes in for five minutes or I would see white people wearing brown makeup playing my people. So because of that erasure, I never saw the love interest. I never saw the sex symbol. I never saw the superhero as an Asian. So it made me feel embarrassed about my ethnicity. It's incredible to now be a part of being able to tell our stories on screen and represent that, you know, we are just people. <laughs> uh, we don't fit into just one embarrassing, diminishing stereotype. So shame was definitely a big part of my life. And, you know, you you take on intergenerational shame. The country that I come from has shamed women about almost every aspect of their being. And so the generations before me were still in recovery from that, I guess. And I'm still kind of recovering from that. But my role has been to, to you know, utilize my privilege as much as I can to get all the therapy I could possibly access in order to get rid of my shame so I could become a beacon of shamelessness, which I think I am if you've seen my social media. I have. And, you know, I make mistakes. I'm flawed. I refer to myself as a feminist in progress because I do not consider myself anywhere near fully formed. And I don't beat myself up over it. When I make a mistake, I feel accountable and angry with myself, but I move on because I register that my intentions are good and I'm going to do better. But, you know, I, I'm never, ever, ever going to be perfect. And thank God, otherwise, what would be the point of living? Mm. I, I think you've gone through so much in your life. Um, when was, do you remember the first moment where you, something happened and you shared it with the world? and you weren't embarrassed and you didn't feel shame about it. Do you remember what that was? Uh, I mean, there were there were many, but I guess probably the most significant was when I was a radio DJ who was being fat shamed by the my entire country. <laughs> and my pictures of my bare bottom were on the cover of loads of magazines next to very thin younger photos of me. Paparazzi camped outside my door. And um, this is as a radio DJ, you can't even see me. 
and it just sort of snapped something in me and made me fight back publicly, uh, both on my social media, in interviews, and I went and spoke at Parliament, which is the House of Commons, so I guess it's our version of the White House in England, much smaller, um, where I just said, no, I don't need a thigh gap. What am I going to do with a thigh gap? personally like what am I gonna do put my phone there I, I don't have anything that needs to go in there it doesn't need to be space and I deserve the right to be respected as a broadcaster and a human being and I will not be reduced to just the number on a scale I've been saying this shit for years if you go back through the internet you can find me saying the same stuff at 19 26 33 I've I've been on this for a long time. People think that I'm Tahani in real life and that The Good Place is a fucking documentary and I only just picked this up. So I have receipts, they're all over the internet. But that was that was a defining moment of me going, okay, well, I'm having all these offers from weight loss companies saying, you know, we'll give you all this money, a million pounds, if you will just say you use our product and we'll get you all these trainers and help you lose weight and then, every, you know, people will sign up to our company. I could have taken the money and run. I could have sold these detox and diet teas on the internet. I'd have five houses by now. But I just wanted to fight back because I remembered what I was like as a teenage girl with an eating disorder, looking up to celebrities for all of their weight loss tips. And I didn't want to be that celebrity for someone else. So instead I pushed back. I refused to get a trainer. I refused to go on a diet. I... You just let my body do what it was going to do. And over the course of six years, I kind of returned to my normal weight, the weight that I'd been before. But just because I let my body do whatever it was going to do, I accepted. Maybe I'm just going to be bigger, fine. But I wanted to allow myself to have the respect that the world clearly did not have for me because it has to start with you. Mm. You know, I know you, you've talked a lot too about being teased um, about your weight when you were younger. And mm -hmm. I, I was definitely a, an overweight kid growing up. And I still think I, you know, I'm traumatized by it. And I think about my weight probably 80 times a day, mm -hmm. uh, like many women, unfortunately. But I, I, you know, and especially in, you know, Indian cultures and Indian families, you know, Indian aunties have no problem telling you if they think you're jotty, you know what I mean? <laughs> or, yeah. or, or overweight. I was wondering, like, you know, what advice do you have for young girls that are struggling with this and are in that kind of environment? And how do they, how would they navigate to get some sort of support? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you should never, never feel like you can't unfollow and block your own family members. I've done that before when I need to, you know, I need to get a bit of space from people. Someone having a shared genetic bloodline with you doesn't entitle them to have no boundaries. They have the same boundaries as anyone else, as a stranger on the street. No one gets a free pass to abuse you. And it is abusive for someone to make you feel bad about yourself or the way that you look. So um, take space as much as you can from family members who do not listen to the fact that they are hurting you. Uh, try to save all the money that you would spend on fucking keto products and diet and detox products and all this shit and spend that money on therapy. I had a therapy called EMDR, Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing Therapy, which really helped me with the trauma I had around food and around my image and fat because I was terrified of fat when I was younger, um, which I'm no longer scared of. Um, and I... Also beg you to listen to the shit that you say to yourself in your head and ask you if you would ever, ever let someone say that to your best friend mm. or to another person that you love. And if you wouldn't, you shouldn't be allowed to say it to you. And it's really vital because the thing that I think I've been the most successful at is A, making it uncool for celebrities to promote detox and diet products. Have you seen, have you noticed how much less that's happening now? Absolutely. That's something that I feel incredibly proud of to have made it a stigma and like to make it uh, embarrassing to sell. Um, but also uh, 
the thing that I feel the most proud of having achieved, um, aside from the other thing I just bragged about, um, <laughs> is that I have managed to help people identify their inner bully because we all have one. The inner bully gets taught by the outer bully, the mm. societal bully, or you know, the actual significant person in your life who makes you feel like shit. It learns the rhetoric and then it beats you with a stick. So you learn how to self-harm emotionally uh, from the outside. And so I've taught people just to catch that voice because I think a lot of us don't even realize how often we say this terrible shit to ourselves. You know, you yourself, the fact that you're aware that you're thinking about 80 times a day is amazing to show the self-awareness that you've registered how much of your day it takes up. It's extraordinary. Like once I stopped looking in the mirror and once I stopped really engaging with my appearance and, and threw out my scales and decided to not allow myself the, the, the shit talking, I, um, I, made, uh, I, I made more money. I had more hours in the day. I became vaguely better at sex. I was never really great. Uh, I became <laughs> a better friend uh, and a more creative person just because I had fucking hours in the day. Yeah, you had more time. Yeah. You had more time to it's think just about a, things. It's a false economy otherwise and so much of it's socialized i mean you've talked a lot about your you know your eating disorders and some of the other struggles that you had regarding your mental health like what were the things that you did for your recovery that helped you maintain your well-being honestly emdr therapy and cutting out all toxins from my life my toxins aren't things like dairy my toxins are abusive people and so literally anyone I have a zero tolerance policy for people who uh who mistreat me or do not respect my boundaries when I offer them to them uh, I don't think those people are real friends um or real family and so I'm incredibly ruthless that until your behavior changes I do not have to accept you in my personal space because I come first which is something that women aren't ever supposed to say but I fucking come first no, we're supposed to be incredibly forgiving. So you're constantly editing the people that are actually in your life and who's around you. And like, mm -hmm. I'm sure that your like spidey sense of people is much better. Like you're almost probably intuitive about reading people's kind of motivations now. But I wouldn't be like that if I didn't already have therapy. Um, if I hadn't already had therapy, I'd have too much of a chaotic, uh, mentally ill brain to be able to use my instinct. So I, therapy first, there's no, there's nothing to ever be ashamed of. It is the best money. It's the best investment you will ever make into anything. Uh, I cannot stress enough the importance of that. In particular, EMDR is great for trauma or addiction or OCD or just sort of cyclical thought patterns that are holding you back. Once I'd done that, I developed a much better sense for who is and who isn't good for me. You know, it's a bit like intuitive eating. It's, it's a similar mm. version. It's intuitive living. And you can do that when you have a clear head. So it's it's funny as you're talking, I was thinking about, I don't know if you ever saw Lily Singh's special on like the brown bar about mm -hmm. like the Indian auntie coming up and talking about therapy. Like in our culture, like I didn't know anybody that went to a therapist, right? Like you did not do that. Mm -hmm. Like, w was it hard for you in the beginning to like, to start being open to therapy? Like, what were your role models? Because a lot of people are going to be listening, you know, come from immigrant families, you know, or cultures or places or spaces where that's not something that you do for your self care. Well, I mean, I pushed it all the way to the edge. I didn't have a role model. No one told me to get therapy. I was in Britain where we don't really, we look down on therapy, uh, which is just backwards and archaic. Um, I had a nervous breakdown and, and tried to kill myself. And I guess it was after that, that I was pointed in the direction of mental health care. 
So, you know, I, that's kind of it. It's, that's, the, that's at the helm of everything that I want to achieve is not letting anyone get to breaking point the way that I did. You know, no one told me any of this. And so, you know, we're completely unprepared at school or by friends or by family for what the real world is. And because of that, it hit me like a bus. And I, the reason that I'm being so annoying and so vocal and so relentlessly TMI all the time everywhere is because I'm desperately trying to warn people about how bad things can get if, if someone doesn't step in and tell you how to look after yourself. And it's not to say that I'm any kind of authority. I don't, you know, I left school at 16, but I have been to the school of hell, basically. And I've been all the way to the bottom and I've seen how bad things can get and how to how to get down to the bottom. And so I also know how to climb your way back up. And all I'm trying to do is share my story in case that might help on someone else. Yeah, it's not annoying at all. It's incredibly brave and, and I'm grateful to you for it because there's a lot of people that are listening uh, that are feeling how you felt. Thanks. And, and it means a lot. So today, what does self-care look like for you? Like, I want to know the little things and the big things that you do to take care of yourself every day. Coffee in the morning with my boyfriend, making time for that and telling people that I will not work before 10 a.m. Um, so that's something that I need now because I suffer from insomnia, so I don't get a lot of sleep until late at night and I need to be respectful. So making time for sleep, making time for love in my life. Um, I'm no longer going to work on weekends now. Uh, I've been doing that. I worked for, God, I mean, I think almost like 700 days straight in the last two years, which is just not cool. My first weekend off was this, you know, like was December just gone, um, you know, and so uh, that's something that's very important for me and making sure that I do one fun, sociable thing every single week, that a week doesn't go by without me seeing my friends and doing one fun thing that doesn't involve me helping anyone because so much of my life as an activist means trying to help and heal so many people all at once and I need some time just for me I also need a couple of hours just by myself with nobody not my boyfriend nobody just a little bit of time to do exactly what I want to do incorporating more selfishness in the femme experience I think is vital to our survival so there's been a lot of really tough things that have happened to you and I wanted to know, like, is it therapeutic to talk about them? Or do you now feel like, okay, here's another thing that happened to me and I now have to share it with the world to help heal them again? I mean, does it help you with your self-care? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess the way that I was thinking about this, like I've suffered from recurrent miscarriages. And I remember the first time I had one telling someone and then the second time and then the third time and then the fourth time. By the fifth time, I was like, wow, like I feel like shit. You know what I mean? Almost sharing this with you um, because it felt like you were almost a burden to them. Right. No, I mean, look, I I think talking to my friends was the first way I ever got over, you know, the fact that I had been abused as a child. I'd been uh, raped as an adult. I'd gone through so many terrible things and sharing with my friends was incredibly therapeutic. I don't find sharing with the world to be very therapeutic because it, at this point, I've gotten over it. I've had the therapy. I feel like it almost happened to someone else, mm. um, which is the nature of EMDR, which is great because you you keep the life lessons without the trauma. But um, I just share now, not for any sense of release, but just to build a community of people who've been through something. And, you know, having seen how much that worked with me too, it is incredibly effective how sharing can really bring people together and create change. So that's really all I'm trying to do is just 
these are the things that have happened. I'm not ashamed of them. I don't take responsibility for the things that happened to me at the hands of other traumatized people. And uh, if it happened to you too, don't feel embarrassed. You're not a freak. I got through it and uh, we can get through it together. And it's really like a gift in some ways to like have no shame, right? Yes. Right. To be like Cardi B and like no fucks given and really just tell the world because there's a lot of people who are going through what you're going through, but they just can't. And it's a lot of therapy for them to see you share it with the world. And that's something that I've learned too is like a gift, right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's not, I mean, I'm not looking at it as my great gift. I mean, some people want to hear it. Some people don't. Mm. Uh, some people judge my life, uh, when I, you know, I talked about having an abortion, I got a lot of judgment for about two months. Uh, so it's really just for anyone, it will help. Some people it won't, some people it will. I'm not trying to be liked by anyone. I, this isn't a popularity contest. I'm just hoping that if I can, if I can save one life, then all of the shit that I went through is worth it. So how can listeners support you and follow your work? Well, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm Jamila Jamil Official. Uh, I I don't consider myself official. It's just that a very sweet little Syrian six-year-old boy saw the good place and took my handle on Instagram. Um, <laughs> so don't follow him. Or do. <laughs> Fuck it. Uh, and then I Wei is at I underscore W-E-I-G-H, which is our movement against shame, where you can find petitions where we're fighting to change laws and we support activists from all over the world. It's really a space that I've created for other people, not just myself. Um, and it's an amazing source for mental health. Making I Wei pages, the format of the I Wei page, which you'll find on the account, is incredibly therapeutic. I highly recommend it. And I'm on Twitter and I'm very loud and sometimes quite offensive. So if you can handle it, uh, you can find me there. I guess our podcast is... Uh, called the I Way podcast with Jamila Jamil and hopefully you can tune in and maybe you'll find something that reaches you well thank you so much and we're lifting you up and I love everything that you're doing um, so congratulations thank you very much thanks for having me that was Jamila Jamil her new podcast is called I Way with Jamila Jamil and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts if you're struggling with a possible eating disorder and you need support you can call the National Eating Disorders Association Helpline during the week at 1-800-931-2237. You can find the hours listed in our show notes. You can also send a message to the crisis text line at 741-741. It's available 24-7 to support and to connect to resources for various crisis situations. Hi, I'm Ashley, the executive producer of the show. And that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you're enjoying Brave Not Perfect, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, so you never miss an episode. A new show comes out every other Tuesday. Brave Not Perfect is also made possible by my co-producers, Tanya Zaporonik and Charlotte Stone. And it couldn't be done without the support of Deborah Singer. See you in two weeks. <laughs>